morning, everyone. I am honored to be here with you and thankful that you're here as well. And welcome to everyone who's joining us online. Today we're continuing the series that Jesse has started on emotions and the title is Connecting with God. And of course we mean emotionally because you may have noticed if you have a connection with somebody, if it's not an emotional connection, it's not a very deep one. And so we're talking about emotionally connecting with God. And so let's read our text this morning, which um, starts in the last verse of Genesis chapter 2, and then goes into Genesis chapter 3, and then we'll pray and begin. It says, now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. This, this is not accidental that the author is highlighting this portion of the story to us and then in Genesis 3 it starts now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made he said to the woman did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden the woman said to the serpent we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and said nothing, and he ate it. And the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, and goes on to explain the curses and the consequences of that sin. No questions for the serpent, but questions for Adam and Eve. And then it goes on to say, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word, that it is truth, that it provides for us a lens through which we can understand ourselves and our world and you. I ask that you would open our hearts today to receive from you in a way that uh, only you can. We invite you here, Lord. Let your presence come 
teach us new things this morning, that we can walk in your freedom and your truth and your beauty. Thank you that you said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so here we are, Lord. Teach us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, you, you may have had a conversation with somebody where as you're talking with them, they're kind of constantly looking around, their head is bobbing around, and, and even though you're talking with them, you don't feel heard. You don't feel listened to or valued. And conversation might be happening, but connection is not happening. And you might call this an external distraction. And on the other hand, you might have had a conversation with someone where they're looking you at the, in, the, in the face. They're looking at you in the eyes. But you can tell they're not really there. They're kind of, you know, zoned out inside. And so again, you might be having conversation. You might be talking with that person, but you don't feel valued. And you don't feel listened to. And you don't feel heard. Because connection is not happening. And you might call that an internal distraction. And a, a classic example, I was just on the phone with Telus the other day, and I don't have a high priority uh, of, of listening to this, to this lady on t uh, from TELUS. But as she was talking, I was kind of zoning out, and then she asked me something, and I embarrassingly had to say, um, what, can you repeat the last <laughs> phrase? Because connection was not happening. Another classic example is with, with kids, and the parents are on the phone, and, and the kids want their attention, and the parents are not there. The kids might not be able to articulate that, but they know their parents are not there. And the constant cry of the kid's heart is, watch me, watch me. Look at me, see me, pay attention to me. Let's connect over this thing. And uh, it wasn't long ago that our three kids have joined Taekwondo. And at some point during the Taekwondo, all three of them were looking at me, looking at them. They wanted to connect with me over what they were doing. Do you see me? Do you know me? I wonder if we think, what do we think? Kind of connection, what is the kind of connection we can have with God? Because he wants to connect with us. Let me say this very clearly. God is never distracted when he is engaging with us. He's not internally distracted. He's not externally distracted. He is fully engaged with you. Because we were made for connection. And I remember when we were in Lesotho, we went to pick up our, our three little guys, and we were at the orphanage. It was just such a wild experience. We show up there. We weren't even there an hour. Or it was just, sorry, it was just over an hour. And the kids were clamoring in our car, ready and excited to leave that life behind and come with us with acceptance and trust. And I remember so clearly, we, the kids were in the back, and we just left. And I couldn't even believe it. We have three kids now. All of a sudden, we're parents like this. And I looked in the rearview mirror, and I looked at Luca, Luca was looking at me, and I was just smiling, ear to ear. 
And we, he didn't speak English. I didn't uh, speak Sasutu. And so we, didn't, we had this language barrier, but connection was happening. I looked at him, and he looked at me, and I raised my eyebrows. But just like, like that. And he did it right back at me. It was such a powerful moment of connection. And we might think, what, what is connection, actually? And it's this feeling of being felt, where you know that you are feeling the feelings I feel, and I feel you feeling me. It's a giving and a receiving in relationship. And that's the kind of depth of meaning with which God wants to connect with you. God wants to connect with you in your innermost being. Because we were made for connection. And those moments, that moment of connection that I had with Luca, and that we have with people in our lives, those are the moments that establish a relationship. And those are the moments that God wants to establish an emotional connection with you. However, shame is the barrier to connection. And so I want to talk through this passage that we just read about how shame interrupts that connection. That Adam and Eve, they had that moment by moment, day by day, decade by decade kind of connection with God. And shame interrupted that. The connection was lost. And so let's go to the text uh, a little bit. But before I do, I just want to set it up to say this is the background, that God had created this beautiful garden for Adam and Eve. He coronated them as the pinnacle of his creation. This is where uh, they walked with God in the cool of the day, where they were meant to glean from his wisdom and eat from the tree of life and to have this beautiful connection with God. But that connection was lost. That connection was cut. And we're going to look into how shame entered the picture ever so subtly. And I think it starts, and uh, I'm, I'm indebted to Kurt Thompson's book, Soul of Shame is a beautiful book on this topic. And some of these insights come from him. And I think shame starts in verse 5. And that's what we're going to look at here. And I want us to look at this verse, not just with your left brain analyzing it, because shame is a felt emotion. As, as Kurt Thompson says, shame is like the garment of sin. It's the emotion of sin. And so... When you're reading this, this is Jewish meditation literature. It is not telling you something that happened like a scientific journal. It's not telling you all the details so that you meditate and fill in the gaps and see how is this story working. And so think about this from Eve's perspective. Think about it, how would Eve feel when she hears the serpent saying this in her right brain? How does she feel? Because the implication in, in this verse is that God knew Eve would be like him and he didn't want that, so he told her not to eat this fruit. 
What's the message that's coming across? What's the undercurrent of that statement? God doesn't want you to be as close to him as you think he does. Therefore, you're not as important as you think you are. In fact, you are less than you think. You are not enough. And I know Jesse has talked about shame in this series, but just as a way of reminder, shame is that felt sense that you are not adequate, you are not enough, you are unworthy. And it's not because of something you did, it's because of who you are. And this is the subtle message that now has entered the scene. And so it's the template, really, for all of our human relationships. And it shows us how shame is the barrier to connection. And after Adam and Eve, they, they set the scene for our current sin-soaked existence, they recognize their nakedness. And they feel shame, the text says. And uh, what I think the nakedness here is referring to is that Adam and Eve, I imagine, were probably clothed in light. Because the text says they were made in the image of God, and God dwells in unapproachable light. And that they were like him, just as Moses went up the mountain and experienced uh, God at the top of the mountain, he came down and there was this glow around him. And Paul picks that up again in the New Testament to say we have that. Maybe they were clothed in light, and when they cut themselves off from the source of love and the source of light, the lights went out. And they were just simply naked. And the power of shame is that it isolates us and makes us hide as Adam and Eve did. But what I really want to focus on here is God's response to this scenario. And his response is the first question in the whole Bible. The first question in the whole Bible, God comes. Where Adam and Eve are hiding in shame, what does God do? He's walking through the garden. He's calling after them. And he says, where are you? And this is obviously not a, a relational connection. Uh, uh, sorry, this is obviously not a geographical question because God knows exactly where you are, exactly where they were. This is a relational question. It amounts to really saying, where is your heart? And he's drawing out from Adam to help him understand what's happening in his own heart. Where sin and shame has made him hide, God is seeking him out, drawing out his heart to face the shame. And maybe you've been in this in an awful situation where you feel like you've hit rock bottom and you wish that somebody just knew that you were there, that they would just come to you and reach down and grab your hand and hold you and know that you're hurting and that know, they know that you're in that spot. And that's what God is doing right now with Adam and Eve. He knows they're in that spot and he is going after them. And while you're imagining this scenario, I want you to think of a perfect and gentle father. 
because that's who God is in every circumstance. It doesn't matter how bad the shame or bad the situation is. God is full of the fruit of the Spirit. He is full of love, joy, peace. He's patient. He's kind. He's gentle. He's faithful. He's good. He's self-controlled. God is not losing it. In the worst of worst circumstances in your life, God is not losing it. Unlike me, I, I asked um, Luca if I could share this story. One time I asked him, you know, go downstairs and do something for me. I can't even remember what it was. And a bit later, I go down there, and I find that he has my shoe, and he's kind of scared of this spider that he's trying to kill. And I said to him, not like a loving and gentle father, I didn't come down and say, hey, how can we attack this together? I said to him, why are you so afraid of spiders? And it was only later that I realized upon reflection that there was shame in my tone. Because there's shame in me. And the, the, the shame in my tone is to say, what's wrong with you that you're afraid of spiders? That was, that's what's coming through. And kids can't cognitively recognize that maybe, but they intuit the tone of my voice that I'm saying, oh, there's something wrong with you because there's nothing wrong with you that you're afraid of spiders. And so I was, I was not like a perfect father, like God is to us. Um, and so God comes to us, and instead of shaming us, he asks us counseling questions, heart questions. Maybe you've been in therapy before or, or seen at least a therapist in the movies where they ask, and they're like, what are you feeling, and what's your family like, and um, what's happening in your heart right now? And you're like, I don't know. I, I have to think about it. That's what God is doing as a perfect and gentle counselor. God is drawing out what's in their heart. And as that happens, their understand, Adam and Eve have the chance to understand what's there. And so that self-understanding and self-knowledge leads to knowledge of God. You can see how Self-knowledge helps you understand other, yourself, others, and God. And it all works together. And we know that God is not condemning them because the very next things, the, in fact, the very next things God says are not, he continues to ask questions. He continues to draw out. And so the next four things God says or questions, four questions, one after another. Then he stops when it comes to Satan. And so we know he's asking them and drawing them. He didn't condemn them, but what was his response instead? He redignified them as image bearers. Where they tried to fix their mistakes themselves and, and cover their shame by sowing fig leaves, which was um, not a long-term solution. It wasn't going to work. It was kind of MacGyvered together. 
we always end up reinforcing our own shame when we try to fix it because we feel worthless and so we continue to act out behavior that makes us feel worthless. And the cycle of shame continues in our own lives. Again, this is the template that Genesis is setting up for us. But it doesn't just diagnose the problem. God also comes to provide the solution by um, taking animal skins and clothing them properly with a solution that lasts to redignify them as image bearers, as children of God. And so that's God's solution to come and to make us whole again. Instead of shame, God gives us glory and honor. And so the template of Genesis says that we were created for good to co-create with God. And we choose independence and we hide in shame. Yet we try to fix it ourselves and we just reinforce it. But God comes to us in the shame. That's where he is. And he uh, gives us the status again, redignifying us, restoring our status as children of God. And so we need to pay attention to that sense of shame you know, as, as I did with the story with Luke, I need to pay attention to the shame in my own life. Take note of it. Where is it operating because it's acting as a barrier to connection? As Jesse talk, talked about in this series, um, that we need to face our emotions. The, the mature person doesn't bypass the emotions, but faces them head on. And as Jesus said, we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. And to love our neighbor as ourself assumes that you love yourself. And to love yourself assumes that you know yourself. And so it actually starts back here at self-knowledge, which is what God does when he says, where is your heart? For me, I used to hide a big part of myself, or a large part of my life, I recognized there was uh, areas in me that I didn't, want, I didn't want to pay attention to, let alone anyone else to see. And so I cut myself off from myself, and I hid that stuff. Where there were sexual sins, where there was judgments, where there was pride. I didn't even know a lot of the stuff that was in there, but I knew it wasn't good, and I didn't even pay attention. Cut itself off. That. This is part of me I don't like. That's hidden. Here's a part of me everyone likes. Oh, here, I'll show the world that. It was a polished version of myself, and that's what we call the false self, because it's only part of you, instead of the true self, which is all of you. And we might come to church this morning um, feeling a sense of shame. It's okay to pay attention to that, to, to think about it and go, oh, where is that shame? Because maybe we were screaming at our wife last night, and so there's this sense of shame that we're holding. Maybe we're yelling at our kids or we were drunk last week. There's some way, maybe you made a promise to yourself you would never do that thing again and you've done it. And you have this sense of shame that you're carrying with you. And Jesus wants you to know he is already there he is already there waiting for you. 
in that deepest, darkest place that you want to hide. And we can see this in the ministry of Jesus. If we just take a step back and look at the Gospels and go, okay, where's Jesus? Where's his ministry? Where's his activity? It's with the shamed, the shunned, the shut out, and the silenced of society. That's where he is ministering if you look in the Gospel text. And guess what? Apply that question to your own heart. Where's Jesus then in my heart? He wants to go to the shamed and the shut out and the silenced part in my own heart. If we'll just open ourselves and have the courage to go there, that's where we'll find the healing. And so how do we participate with God to overcome the shame and the disconnection that's a result? Um, we connect with our emotions. And so we're also then enabled to connect with God's emotions and well, as well others' emotions too. A couple of authors, uh, they say that ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality. Listening to our emotions ushers us into reality. And reality is where we meet God. Emotions are the language of the soul. They are the cry that gives the heart a voice. And I'm reminded of this text in 1 John that says, if someone loves, someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person's a liar. But if we don't love people we can see, how do we love God whom we can't see? And I think the idea here is expressing the fact that your love for God is expressed through your love for people. And I think we can apply the same thing to connection. If we say we're connected with God, but we're not connected with people, how can we say we're connected with God? And I put it this way, if we don't connect with others, we actually inhibit our ability to connect with God. You could also say if we don't connect with ourselves, we inhibit our ability to connect with God. And when we connect with others, we increase our ability to connect with God. We increase, and we can also say in the second one, when we connect with ourselves, we increase our ability to connect with God. Emotion is like the engine that drives interconnections in all our relationships. Really, all of life is actually responding to emotion. It's so fundamental to our being. And that's why Good Friday comes as such a surprise to the enemy and to us, where there is God, this is the template for healing. There is God hanging on a cross, naked, in a public execution, dying as a common criminal, the most humiliating death that we can imagine. God has come down and reached into our pit of shame to say, I am not letting you go there alone. I'm coming with you, and I'm going to face it with you so that I can restore the connection we have with my Father. That's what Jesus does in the cross. 
And I'm reminded of this story I heard recently where this lady was at an AA meeting. And Alcoholics Anonymous, they often share their stories and then people afterwards say, this is how I identified with your story. But this story was so horrific. It was so horrible that uh, there was just pin drop silence after this lady had you know, gone into drugs and sold her child to pay for the drugs. And it was so horrible, everyone was speechless. And then from the back of the room, this little old lady who had been there from the beginning when Bill W. founded AA, and she shouts out from the back, the word of the Lord. And, and those who were kind of from uh, higher churches, they responded by saying, thanks be to God, which is the custom in those places. And I think that's so powerful because where her true self, her whole self, was sharing the story and exposing the shame, she was going with Jesus as Jesus faced the shame. It says in, in Hebrews 12 that he scorned the shame. She's facing the shame. That's the word of the Lord. And reminded that this is the community of believers who have all experienced this kind of um, comfort and assurance from God. And so we should also be like that where this is a hospital where we share our war wounds together. And through that vulnerability, heal each other. Where healed people heal people and so become the kind of community that God is in the Trinity. And so, we were made for connection, and shame is that barrier. But we face the shame with Jesus as Jesus did, and then we experience the honor of sonship and daughtership. And so I want to invite you to do, do this exercise with me where I, I didn't know the depths of the ways in which God wanted to connect with me, and I still want to explore that more. But I knew God loved me in my head. And until I understood that I had to know myself to go to those places in me that I wouldn't go, that I became more true and more whole. And in those places, God would, could connect with me deeper. And so I want, to, I want you to allow your mind to imagine the depth of connection God wants to have with you. And to feel what he feels over you. So we're so used to thinking, oh, we got to align our thinking with God's thinking. we got to align our wills with God's will. Yes, but we need to align our emotions with God's emotions. And so as I read this verse, I invite you to just close your eyes. Take a couple of deep breaths. Nice, slow breaths. And as I read this verse, I want you to allow yourself to feel what God is feeling over you. Just in your mind, invite God's presence to come be with you right now. And imagine his presence. Sense his presence coming to you. And begin to allow your heart and your body to feel what God feels over you.
The Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves. He takes great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Allow your imagination to go there to feel what it's like for God to delight in you. How he's quieting you and rejoicing in your presence. Imagine God singing over you. What song is it? What lyrics is it? What tone does he have? It's like God is holding a concert in your honor in heaven to simply sing for you. Allow yourself to feel what God feels over you. Hold on to that. Let that rewire your brain that that is the truth of who God is and how God is feeling over you. I don't want you to let that emotion go, even though we're going to kind of move away from being in that space. That truth is not going to move away from you. Whenever you're ready, you can either just stay in that space and we'll move into worship or you can just open your eyes and come back. Just not before you're ready, but whenever you're ready to do so.